group for teasing out what of the way in which we have lived and worked is applicable to the future and what are the what are the ways where we may be missing out on much bigger opportunities if we don't shift Welcome everyone to a wonderful conversation today. So today we have with Jane Data. She is a, a Chief Human Capital Officer at NASA. And uh, friends, uh, today we have our hundredth episode. So and it, it's it's a delight to have someone like Jane Stature to be on our show, sharing her journey, sharing her experience. So Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you, Vishal. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. So to start off, let's let's talk about your journey. Like what brought you to this fascinating world of NASA and what has what and the world of HR. So if you can walk us through your through your career path, that would be awesome. Thanks. Yes, absolutely. Well, I like to think of myself as a planner, but I think my career journey journey was somewhat unplanned. <laughs> so it kind of evolved over time. I actually started out, uh, you know, going to a, a city. I went to London and I lived there for five years and worked in classical music industry, which is just a very fun and exciting time. And then, you know, life got real and I returned to the US, uh, got another degree, uh, an MBA equivalent. And then uh, I ended up going to Carrier Corporation and United Technologies. Um, and that was my introduction to the, the world of HR. So I started in industry, not in government. And uh, in that time period, I, I sort of moved around and did a lot of different things, which gave me kind of the, the broad brush strokes of what HR had in it and what it meant to be an HR leader. Uh, and then a, a moved, you know, this is another example where, you know, sometimes things happen in your lives and it disrupts what you're doing. And so you uh, have a twist in the, in, in the direction in which you're headed. But uh, we moved to the Washington, D.C. area, and it was shortly before the 9-11 um, tragedy. And so I was looking for work at a time when the types of work that were available were uh, not the full the full set of work that you would normally see. So I ended up going into consulting, as you know, that that industry was really necessary for government uh, in the postal 9-11 world, as well as before, but it was really, um, there was a lot of um, need for help and assistance post 9-11. So I joined Booz Allen Hamilton and in their workforce planning area, and that's what led me to NASA. So again, I didn't set my sights on, I've always wanted to pretend that I was an astronaut <laughs> or be with astronauts. It was indeed a series of serendipitous events that led me there. And I've been with NASA since 2002, really. Uh, and then I joined NASA as a civil servant in 2007 and, and, and gone on from there. Uh, so uh, more recently, I became the Chico. Uh, this was in January of 2020, which was a tragedy, which of course was the COVID uh, pandemic. And so it was an interesting time to step into the lead human capital role at an agency like this. Um, but I was grateful for the opportunity and grateful that I had spent long enough at NASA to be able to have some sense of what we needed to do to respond. So, so those are the general points um, in my journey to where I am now. That's and thank you for for walking us through. That's that's remarkable. So help us understand what's a typical day for a executive for, for a people's leader for an for an agency like NASA means. Like what's a typical day for you like? So a typical day for me is full end to end, but it's full of a whole lot of disparate things. And what I mean by that is um, I feel it's really important to work at multiple levels. So it's important for me to have a role with leadership, and I do. Uh, and so I'm attending meetings, especially over things that are really big in administration priorities, or actually we have a team to help address the COVID issues that continue. Uh, and I also deal with my own leadership team and um, 
you know, I stepped into the role and said, I really, it's really important that my leadership team be a highly functional, effective team. And not that we weren't, but that I wanted my own kind of stamp on that to really bring us together even more tightly than we were and really have some shared vision and goals. Uh, and then I deal with, you know, various folks uh, throughout my organization and others. So I actually have regular tag ups with other mission support functions mm. like CFO and IT and also with mission leaders and this field center leadership so that I can really keep a pulse on the organization. So I have to get up every day and have lots of energy. And I really do love the diversity of the work that I do um, every day, every week, because it's really important to have the pulse of the organization and understand the many pieces, parts in our agency and how they kind of fit together, particularly as it relates to people issues. That's that's fascinating. So um, if we rewind a bit, so you are working with, um, um, it's BCJ or B, like Bain, which one were you? I was with before is Booz Allen Hamilton. Is Booz that Allen, what you're asking? So, so yes, working, yes. working with Booz Allen. So now, um, Walk us through the process when when you jump on the other side, right? Because I think um, it's always a fascinating story to hear from leaders who said, "Okay, this is a bureaucratic organization. It takes time. I'm I'm not sure if I'm ready for it. I like whatever." And they said, "No, no, I need to jump in and 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 take the fight right on." And so walk us through through your um, um, that decision making process. That brought you from on the other side when you when 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 you jumped over. Sure, happy to. So I I really benefited from my time in consulting. It was the first time I had done true consulting, though I would argue that every role that you have that's senior enough has some amount of consulting embedded within it. <laughs> but uh, it was my first time as an external consultant, and it taught me a lot of things that I needed to know. Things like you know, how to manage a project with the budget and and how to scope, how do you scope work? How do you know what talent you need to apply to the work, et cetera, et cetera. I, I was lucky to have NASA as a client uh, whilst I was a consultant. And so making the switch over was not just jumping to something unknown. It was actually jumping into the fairly well-known. And I think the pivot point for me was I felt that I had learned what I needed to learn as a consultant. And not everybody wants to be a career consultant. I think mm -hmm. those who do, it's great. And those who don't, it's also great. For me, it was a step along the way. And I sort of knew that. And I also knew that I was gonna be able to use what I had learned inside the agency, not just on the outside. And so um, I every day I appreciate the benefits I got from that. But in the end, I really wanted to, uh, really uh, be on the inside, Th though, you know, I was treated wonderfully as a an external consultant to NASA. There is a level of access uh, that you have and a level of little insight that you get when you're inside an organization that you really can't fully have when you're not. And so I was just ready for that. And then, you know, opportunities come up and you seize them when they come. So I wasn't making a big pitch to move in. It was more the opportunity was there and I looked at it and I had that feeling in my gut. <laughs> that's the one. And so that's why I moved over. Fascinating. And, and um, so perception. Uh, being an outside and an inside uh, as an insider, how has the perception changed when it comes to? Uh, and I think you rightly pointed out you're already working with government agencies, part of part of Booz Allen. So when you switched over, what are some of the some of the surprises um, that that you have encountered, that that um, good or bad, that you can walk us through? Um. I think I still had to learn things that I didn't learn because when you're a consultant, you know, you have a client and your client is really needs to be the front facing voice. And so I actually had to come in and I don't know that it surprised me more that I just I had to recognize that I needed to I needed to develop my voice as a leader on the inside. And that voice was, what do I need to say? <laughs> Who do I need to say it to? How do I need to listen and understand differently? Because again, when you're in a consulting role, you know you have you have a 
piece of work that you've agreed to do. It's a statement of work and you are delivering on that statement of work. And so when you are on the inside, you're trying to figure out, yeah, you could call a plan kind of your own statement of work, but there's a lot more surrounding that that you have to take into account. Uh, both types of work that you might not have anticipated and also what it takes to get that work done, really. It just feels different. So finding my voice and finding my way around uh, as an insider was new, even though I've been there uh, as, a, as an external consultant. I think that's, um, that's well said. So uh, we were talking before the show uh, briefly. So I think uh, one thing that I find strikingly amazing, I was talking to one um, one of the chief architect at, at one of the NASA's um, uh, project. And he was telling me, Vishal, you know what? One of the most exciting thing uh, in NASA is, so there are like two bucket of workforce. So there one bucket is which is very old school. They understand that they're technology savvy and they keep technology to themselves many ways. Like they are very, very uh, uh, reserved when it comes to collaboration. And then, then this new uh, hippies, <laughs> those hyper-collaborative, <laughs> hyper-collaborative uh, uh, open source friendly, they just throw things out, just collaborate. So considering the diversity of that organization, NASA is one of the largest collaboration project delivering spaceships, literally. How do you run, how do you run a people, a consistent people organization in this diverse uh, ecosystem? Walk us through some of, some of those uh, insights. So, first of all, um, I would are, I, I would agree with you that we are um, we have a lot of diversity. Aspect of diversity is the people who love the way things are, and some people who love to see innovation and change. Not everybody's exactly on one side or the other. It's usually a bit of a bit of a blend of both. But um, so, what I would say is that. Um, the, there's a there's a process that we go through for teasing out what of the way in which we have lived and worked is applicable to the future, and what are the way, what are the ways where we may be missing out on much bigger opportunities if we don't shift. And so, and that's where sort of the change management comes in, because, you know, like you find in most organizations, I'm sure, uh, there are early adopters, there are people who are excited about the possibilities of the shift that you might make with, say, new technology and new ways of working, and others who are very comfortable where they are. And so what that means as a people leader is that I have to pay, pay attention to all of those segments, right? And so there is a, um, there's a really a listening piece. And then there's a, what are the ways in which we can help uh, people uh, be, be not fearful of change, actually be, be willing to adjust and adapt be more agile in the way they go about doing things. Um, and that is not easy. I mean, we have, a, we have a, a lot of value for what we call org development, which is a, it's a, it's a functional expertise uh, that fits within the Ochico um, community. And it is really all about that sort of thing. How do you get, how do you help organizations change and stay healthy? Right. And what does that look like? It's a lot about communication. It's a lot about engagement and have people having a voice. And these are all things that, you know, I am thinking about literally every day. Um, so hope that helps. Interesting. And and I, I'm, I'm curious, like, do uh, does NASA have a, a, a mission statement? And and with, with such a diverse, as you rightly pointed out, with such a diverse workforce, how do you ensure that they all follow on the same mission trajectory or so same having a same similar vision? How do you ensure that? Like walk us through some of some of your. Um, how do you ensure as a leader to have this central mission of um, working with NASA? Sure. So we clearly have, you know, explore the universe for the benefit of mankind, uh, and we also that would be the, one of our tenets of our mission. Uh, we also have core values, which I think are really important and which really um, influence, you know, how we do our work. So teamwork and excellence and safety and, uh, and inclusion, which is a new core value that we added 
couple of years ago. And so, so we have to live our core values and we have to, I, what I will say though about our mission is that we don't really have difficulty with people following our, our, our mission and vision because what really draws together NASA more than anything else are two things. One, connection to the mission and two, connection to each other. That is just a profound, um, it's profoundly true at NASA. It's almost universal through up and down in and about NASA. People love our missions. And so uh, they believe in them. They believe in the, the higher purpose of those missions. So it's not just about, you know, how we satellite into orbit or get the James Webb Space Telescope, you know, um, in, into space, but it's really about what is that going to find for us? And what does that tell us about the nature of the universe? What else is out there and so forth? And if people didn't believe in that, I think it would be really hard for us to stay as intact as we have through all of the many changes, especially in the world around us today. So one of the things about being so mission driven is that we have a great or sort of what I would call the engagement piece, which is connecting people to each other and, uh, and to the mission. And so how do I use that to best effect, but also make sure that in loving the mission and being so mission driven, that we also take the time and space to pay attention to the workforce and how they're doing. And that's been particularly important over the last year and a half during COVID when, you know, when life has been hard for us all. So I think um, uh, you're spot on. So, so connecting is a, is a very interesting word, right? So, and, and you rightly picking up uh, that the last one and a half year almost had been, um, pretty um, remarkable uh, in basically understanding the human resilience and basically figuring out how to bring the organization back to its its full form. Walk us through how would uh, uh, a people leader for an agency like NASA walk us through your March last year. Like when you, when you see this thing uh, unfolding, how what, what was going to your mind? How are you preparing? How were you thinking about NASA as an, as an organization. Uh, walk us through that time. Sure. So starting in about February and going until mid-March, where we all essentially, not all, but a large majority of our workforce uh, was sent home <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, for safety um, uh, because of COVID. Uh, and I think in those early days, so early part of 2020, I actually... I think we knew it was big, but we did. The workforce, the safety and health of our workforce was paramount. And it was really important for us to articulate that, to get agreement on that, because that was sort of the the, the, the way in which we made decisions, especially in this in the first year of what turned out to be the first year of the pandemic. We had to put health and safety as number one and everything else, including the mission, had to be organized around that. And so that was a that was a, a really a fundamental aspect of how we respond responded to uh, to the pandemic. The other thing that we did was we brought together the leadership team of the agency. It's one of the most wonderful, shining examples of great leadership, especially in a time of crisis where you really need your leadership, right? Um, it really came together and they focused on everybody's on the same page. This is what we're doing making decisions and then communicating, communicating, communicating with the workforce. And so it, not only about their health and safety being paramount, but also how it is, not just the what protecting them, but the how we were going to do that. And so that they could understand it, we put out a web page so that they could go to one place for all the information. Um, we, we really worked and worked and worked as a senior leadership team to ensure that we 
that needed to happen. So that idea of the unified leadership and the putting the health and safety first are the things that really stand out for me. In fact, even today, we said that same leadership team is still intact and still meeting regularly. It's that important to us that we do this right and that we uh, continue to make really prudent decisions uh, that balance the need to continue with missions at the same time, uh, make sure that we are uh, maintaining a, 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 safe, a safe workplace for our people. I think that that's that, that's wonderfully put. So when when we talk to many uh, HR leaders around how it how it the uh, described their, their February and March and 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 uh, last year, many of them shared. I think what you are rightly pointing out that the, their core values. So uh, health and and safety was not their core. Like it was there, but it was not. I think as you rightly pointed out, your it's it's a mission and the connection. Uh, between themselves, that was that was a core, and then suddenly the the wellness and health became sort of the central mission, and everything else second. So, as as a people leader, like communicating that, stalling the complete engine, ensuring still you have a business to come back to, or you have an agency to deliver, uh, because obviously there are a lot of tax taxpayer implications. Like there are a lot of uh, things that are relying on NASA's ability to deliver that that's making a world better for all of us how do you how do you sort of balance these two mix mixes like walk us through that mindset like how do you sort of say okay safety and health and then and then this walk us through that decision making process and i think right uh, what are some of the steps you have done taken to ensure that it, it's done smoothly Sure. Well, and so, and this is not just me. I'm, this is yeah. the whole leadership team. I want to be clear. This is the agency leadership making these decisions. And so, like, for instance, um, there there is work that can only be performed on site for some of the missions that we do. So manufacturing, test, integration are all examples of things that you would have to do on site. And so what we did was we prioritized what work we needed to get done based upon mission milestones and the capacity for people to safely be on site, which was not very much, right? And even today, uh, now that this administration has come and has weighed in on capacity a 25% limit um, uh, along the way, uh, and we're in the process of getting approval for um, you know, more to be on site as local conditions permitted. But so so part of it was that we just made some really good, smart decisions uh, across the agency about what the priority things were to do, especially when they relied on the, you know, when they had to be on site. Um, the other thing that we did was we, um, we definitely wanted to pay attention to the, the differences in local conditions. So we have field centers distributed across the uh, across the country, and we didn't want to necessarily just say one size fits all in terms of what capacity would constitute safety. We also relied heavily on our very wonderful leadership at those field centers, and they are really good at what they do and they understand about caretaking for the workforce around things like you know how this all the local protocols and the local signage and 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 local processes to help make sure that things were operating the way they should so it was sort of like we did a lot at the central level but we also did a lot there and then i would say the other thing to point out which I think has really helped and given us more than actually it was originally intended to do. And that was that we focused on the first line supervisors. And the reason we did that was because I'm, 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 I've been known to say that the supervisors are kind of on the hot seat because they're where the work and the workforce come together. And so while they may have a technical job in addition to their people job, this was a time when the people job really uh, made a huge difference. And they didn't know any more than the rest of us exactly how to operate in this newly found um, off-site environment. Um, so uh, what we did to support them was we actually had 
we started using our virtual tools and we, we basically sponsored sessions for a while. It was once a week complemented in the early days with some messages from me about, okay, this week, think about these things, right? Just get real simple, like call everyone on your staff, find out who, how they are, have this at the ready in case they need help. Um, you know, talk to them about work and prioritizing work. Help them figure out a way through if they have childcare needs and that aren't addressed, that kind of thing. So really some basic, simple things through these virtual sessions. And though we do not have them once a week, it's more monthly now, I, we have kept them going. And here was the learning. There was a lot of there was a lot of unmet demand out there from the supervisors to get information on supervising like topics mm -hmm. that just going to a training course didn't fulfill they and they wanted to hear directly about those things but as importantly they wanted to talk to each other and and the the virtual platform allowed them uh, opportunities of course they could do that any day of the week but mm -hmm. you know we don't really have a supervisors forum other than uh, you know that is more formalized with a little bit more structure around it so this was the beginning of getting them to feel like they were a cohort with who were going through a shared experience and that was really wonderful and we've had we've had a whole bunch of different kinds of topics that we brought to that series some of them are covid related some of them are traditional supervisory things like for example how do you do a performance appraisal virtually? <laughs> so would be an example of that, right? Uh, as well as uh, just other other topics that we think are really good thought topics for our supervisors. So along the way, it's been a bit of a mixture, but but there seems to be there's great attendance, and we get a lot of really positive feedback. And so that was one thing that we did that I think really made a difference. Um, to our ability to respond and help our workforce and you know make choices around what health and safety look like in this era interesting and uh, and thank you for walking us through that so um over last one year what are some of the um interesting surprises uh, what surprised you as a, as a as a as a people leader when you have gone through this shutdown and 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 coming back up about the workforce about the process like walk us through some of the some of the learning or some of the surprises that that you've encountered yeah i would say i don't know if anything fully surprised me but what i will say is that you know, we talk a lot about agility and agility comes in a lot of different forms. You know, you can have agility with your skills, you can have agility with your temperament, you know, you have emotional agility, all sorts of different kinds of agility. But in this particular case, the agility that I'm referencing is really about um, our ability to adapt to unusual circumstances. And I actually think it was faster and cleaner and, and really uh, better than I could ever have hoped had you told me six months before that this was going to happen. I go, oh dear, <laughs> right? This is going to be hard. This is going to be really hard. And actually, it people adapted remarkably quickly. And mm -hmm. so, um, and it, I want to say that the quality of talent that we have at NASA is one of the hallmarks of our agency. I mean, we really we really have talent at our agency so talented people generally find a way you know and so it, in that way it shouldn't be surprising but because we also are an agency that has practices and habits that are of long standing and this was disrupting those practices and habits i think i was surprised at the 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 fact that though they didn't really have much of a choice, for example, to adapt to teleworking would be an example of that, or to adapt to the sort of how it is that we were prioritizing the, you know, the the mission work. I think that we we really we really got them there quickly, and 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 that is a testament to the leadership of the agency and how much energy and personal effort they put into. Um, helping everyone get there. Um, so, so that was a surprise. But you know, in the end, um, change is still hard. Yeah. <laughs> 
And, and one of the things that we hear a lot is that, you know, there's a lot of burnout and, and it is just, you know, living in a, in a turbulent times takes its toll after a while. So um, that is, again, not a surprise, um, but it's something that um, I think actually hearing that took a little longer than I might've thought. Um, I think we, we, we were all systems go for a very long time, but I think we're finally, you know, a year and a half in, who knew, right? And we don't know how much longer it will be either. Um, that, um, you know, that, that, that sort of the, the change fatigue, just general fatigue is there. So. Interesting. And um, so one, one other thing that we, when we talk to HR leaders about their journey over the last one year, uh, one year, one and a half year leading their organization, I think burnout came a lot more often, right? So I think one thing yeah. that, that came out was, uh, so when we talk about collaboration, we always thought about performance as, as, as a means to, like collaboration leads to performance. So that's why we care. But right now what we are what we are looking for is collaboration when it comes to, or at least uh, connect, connection when it comes to burnout. You're not alone, right? So, yes. so like connecting people together so at least they can share their pains, they can share their... Their, their social right. uh, and, and 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 those aspects and that became sort of it's it became like a health thing now uh yes. in, in many aspects and nasa is like multiplying them over right so how do you how do you sort of um, ensure that like what what are what has been your learning when it comes to you talk about burnout and you talk about sort of this stressful situation and these guys again very high performing individuals uh, are not now now stuck like told to not perform right that's another battle in itself so how do you how do you cope up with those 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 sort of building scenarios so um i think that uh some of it is that we are some of helping people comes down to a willingness to not be the A plus student in everything that we do, especially when we can't be. And that's really hard because our people want A pluses on absolutely right. everything. So a lot of it comes down to the prioritization and a sense of loss or delay that comes with that and having that be okay. I listened to a, a webinar recently that Gartner put on and, and it, it was, um, they talked about some of the, you know, if you look underneath the surface, there are some people who thrive and some people who are burnt out and overwhelmed. And what's the difference? And I think some of the things that I picked up that really resonated with me from that were those who thrive um, feel that they have an ability to modulate the work that they're doing. So they have some control. So there's if there's too much friction in the work, right, then that can actually... Um, really interfere with your ability to stay whole in a time of great stress. Uh, another one is being able to really negotiate workload and with each other. And this is true even of support organizations, not just mission organizations, but really being willing to say, it's not so much about, did I get something done by the deadline? Although deadlines matter in some cases, it's not like, you know, changing a mission date or launch date is an easy thing to do. So I don't, I, I'm not trying to come across as being uncaring about that, but where we have wiggle room, it's less about the date that I told you I was going to give you something. And it's more about connecting and saying, here's where I am. Here's what I'm doing. I can't get the right people in the room to make decisions quite yet. I'm going to give it to you at this time, not this time. And sometimes simple negotiation like that can make an enormous difference. If you think about it as, a, as someone who receives services, it may not be that the service is done the date that you gave them, but if the service is done and done well, and you feel like they're, they're paying attention to your needs and they are responding, then that's part of the caretaking and giving people the permission in some cases to go have those conversations. So reduce friction, negotiate, 
and then take time for some self-care, right? So we did a couple of things at the agency-wide. We, we instituted what we called Quiet Fridays, which I don't know has been 100% successful, uh, but I think it has helped some. And the idea behind the Quiet Fridays is it's a day in a work week, every other week, where you don't have standing meetings. And that's the time where you can catch up with all the things you haven't done read something, write something, do work that isn't in the flurry of, you know, um, you know, in between meetings, you know, responding to emails. We've also encouraged people to be, be willing to change the hours that they work as long as we can get them if we really need them. So go take a walk in the middle of the day, Go to your, you know, to help your kid if they're doing something. There was a there was a period of time when schools and daycares were closed. Mm. And I have to say that was really, really, really hard on caregivers. Now, um, to give the federal government its due, they approved um, excused leave, paid leave for caregiving and we allowed that. Not all agencies did, we did allow for that. So you could charge up to a certain number of hours in a pay period uh, so that you could go look after your kids or your elderly parents or things where you know the normal support structures in the community weren't available to you anymore. So we did, we, you know, we, we clearly took advantage of everything that we could we could to help people along. Uh, but I think, um, you know, a lot now we're in a situation where in the main, these things are back open again. So now it's more what someone calls the virtual sweatshop, which is the sort of this <laughs> perpetual motion machine of meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting <laughs> and figuring out ways in this particular part of the pandemic response where we can help people to recognize friction where it is to, to negotiate where they need to and then to really pay attention to self-care along the way and whatever they need go ask for it i need to take the rest of the day off because i have abc or i'm just exhausted and i can't i'm not productive or work this hour versus this hour so those are all the kinds of things that we've done in this particular um, pandemic era to help keep ourselves Whole. <laughs> <laughs> I no, so um, I, I I want your perspective on something. So I was talking to someone uh, at Department of Defense, and 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 what they were they were they were talking about was that um, obviously it's uh, many of this there's uh, sort of setups are are stressful and and sort of lot of uh, uh, and last one and a half year has added to the the stress, right? So there was a conversation about understanding the workforce understanding their mental state right? that's extremely critical so they can they can at least agency can help them so so there was uh, and I, we were talking about this some of the aspects of uh, connecting maybe uh, connecting people socially social, socially right so if i love chess maybe there's a chess club or something right if i love if i'm depressed there's a depression club in, in some aspect right so at least we can exchange so i'm not i'm never alone and that would become like a tier one situation. And and typically, um, like we used to care about skills, right? So there was like, I'm the skilled, we are that skilled, so that's how we're connected. But now treating some of these aspects, uh, uh, mental health and all that as sort of a, like, a, like a skill in many ways and connecting people together around that. So I, I'm curious, like um, from, from, from a, a people's leader at NASA, how do you... Uh, what's your take on it like how do you how do you envision something like understanding the mental state of of your workforce which is extremely diverse and collaborative in nature and then helping them not be alone in their journey uh so it's probably not one full up solution but some examples of things that we have done is uh, first of all through the supervisors right which i had mentioned earlier supervisors really are paying attention to their people and how they're doing also we have a very long-standing history of um, valuing collaboration and uh, so 
you know, even we've have clubs and activities, you know, meet you at such and such restaurant after work. I mean, a lot of them were oriented around the, the location of our field centers. Well, but if you were on travel, you'd go out and have dinner with each other, that sort of thing. So we that's a practice that we had in place. And so we have encouraged the virtual version of that. So, for instance, you know, we have I've ha I have done things for my human capital folks across the agency. Chico chats, drop in, talk about your favorite movies, talk about what's on your mind. Uh, you know, in project teams will get together and do a, you know, a virtual happy hour. I mean, so, so there is a whole blend of things that we have done uh, just to give people time to decompress um, and not have to talk shop, but mm. actually get to hear about each other as individuals. Um, and even in our day-to-day -day meetings, when we're doing, when, we're really doing real meetings. There's usually time at the beginning or the end where people will uh, ask about each other. And sometimes it's the little things like that um, that matter. And, and frankly, um, we, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in an environment where a lot of people are working from their living rooms or somewhere in their house, you end up learning a little bit about their people that you didn't know before. Oh, you have two dogs. Oh, you're, or the dog makes a noise or and everybody laughs about it or your kids wander in and you can see them on camera. And so there's a sense of um, of sharing that comes with just this is the whole person. Right. right. It's not the person sitting in the fancy office. It's the whole person. And that's true whether you're the most senior executive or you are, you know, anywhere else in the organization. Uh, there's a sort of democratization that has come with this virtual world, which I find to be a wonderful um, aid to general engagement. But, but generally, I think our culture has always enabled this and we have just found ways to adapt to the, doing those same kinds of things virtually. So. So um, from uh, what you're learning over over last one year, now looking forward, what are some of the things that, that you think are here to stay when it comes to leading people organization for NASA that um, some changes are permanent, some changes are temporary? Like have you, have you um, grapple yourself around what are some of the changes that you should expect or the, or the workforce should expect going forward? Or, or some some trends that you're seeing that they'll probably here to stay for longer than, than anticipated. So walk us some of those. Um, absolutely. Uh, and this is a topic that I feel very passionate about because I do believe that the though the pandemic has been a terrible tragedy for the entire world, and I do not want to minimize that in any way, we would never wish ourselves in this situation and we would hope this ends. However, the silver lining is that we have actually fast forwarded a lot of things that we needed to do anyway in the areas of, uh, you know, geographic agnostic mm. work, focusing on what work is getting done, not where you are to do that work, building in the needs of the workforce for where they need to live and how they need to work into the mix versus the more traditional um structured way that we have always worked nine to five shop here core hours lunch break you know i mean it's i think it the world was going to go that way anyway and mm -hmm. and we we just went there faster so i think we have kind of declared as an agency that the future for us will be hybrid. And what that means is, and I'm not just talking about hybrid meetings because sometimes people misconstrue what hybrid or they narrowly define it as that. Certainly that's an aspect of it. But hybrid is I think we should expect in the future that we will have workforce who, who work on, on our field center sites all the time. Some who work near the sites and come in some of the time. They work near our sites and are essentially remote workers, but they're local. And then we will have workforce that is truly far away remote, meaning that they will not necessarily live near our field centers. And we have a little of that now, but I think that will grow some. And what that means then is that the management of workforce and the way that we do work has to continue to adapt. So virtual tools are here to stay. And I'm expecting that the marketplace will provide us with 
ever better tools that are more intuitive to use and help make the difference between participants in the room and not in the room less and less and less over time. So where you happen to be sitting will matter less and less as meetings go forward. And similarly, for doing any kind of interaction to get work done, it'll be the same deal, that, that where you are will become less and less important and what you're doing and how you are connecting mm. with people will remain important and become the focus in lieu of are you, you know, are you showing up on site at nine o'clock for the staff meeting? <laughs> it's good. Do we have the right people at the staff meeting and are we talking about the right things and can everyone hear and be heard? <laughs> so, right. So those are the kinds of things that um, I think too, that this is the beginning of an era where in the shift away from the more traditional mode, we are building in the needs and the wants of our employees from the standpoint of what they need to be really productive uh, that goes beyond uh, the normal. So for instance, let's just suppose, you know, you had a lot of kids and it would be really helpful to live near some parents. So you could potentially move near your new, near one of the sets of parents and they could help us. I mean, I'm making this up a little bit. They're notional examples, but um, you know, that's one thing. Um, it could be, you know, I, I'm in a very high cost of living environment. We have a few of those mm -hmm. in our fields and locations. And I could really get some stuff done that I really met, that really matters to me and I, that I value if I could be in a slightly less high cost um, environment. So those are examples of things that are really employee driven uh, that I think we would have maybe accommodated and have actually we have accommodated some of these before. We have people living in practically every state in the U.S., but not in large numbers. So mm -hmm. there have been more exceptions than the rule. I think it will be more of a blend of, it's not so much the rare exception any longer. But it's really, the, the point here is that it's being driven by what the workforce needs to take care of all aspects of their life and to be fully available and in on the work and 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 to be able to bring their talents and then add to that that i think um i think from a talent management and talent acquisition perspective oh it's a brave new world of possibilities uh, mm. that i think are, are marvelous and so you know ideally we should get the best talent for any role and we should be able to accommodate them with where they want to live without making them, requiring them in all cases. Now in some roles, you have to be on site at least some of the time. So mm -hmm. I, it's driven by the needs of the work, but within the boundaries of what, where you need to be to do work, and there are some in some roles, then you have a lot more flexibility beyond that to figure out what makes what, what what helps make this an attractive option for for people to join NASA. Um, more importantly, I would say, I think this is a play to be able to develop people by having opportunities for remote assignments in a whole host of areas that might not have been practicable if they were only looking at opportunities available in the local area within their field center. So we can talk more about that. But I think that's a really big deal for us. No, that's I think that's and, and thank you for walking us through that. So um, so basically, from the tools perspective, uh, from the technology perspective. So so you, what what I'm listening is that um, collaboration is here to stay. Uh, virtual collaboration is here to stay, and and yes. and and the tools. That, so uh, when you if say I am a software vendor looking at this session, what what are some of the big opportunities that you think? Uh, exist today uh, in in agencies like NASA or or NASA alike that 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 sort of pave way for the next next sort of leap uh, in in the in the tool design that to implement to sort of to help with the collaboration. So what what do you think are some of the things that you would love to see the tools show up with? So um, I don't know that I have a whole list of wishes and desires, but one thing I will see say is that I think. We adopted the new tools and the new features came and even some new tools came along the way. Obviously we have platforms that are approved for use. Uh, and so it's not like I have a 
whole portfolio of options and I can use any one of them. You know, they have to be right. put within the NASA environment and used safely and all that sort of thing. So, so with that caveat in mind, I've really been impressed by how um, rapidly the tool, the number of tools, the types of tools and the, and the functionality within any given tool has improved. So what I'd like to see is that the, the hardest part of the hybrid environment is going to be how to make people feel like they're there when they're not there and not uh, that there's a, a preference for um, people feeling connected only if they are in close proximity. So it's, the, it's really becoming geographically agnostic. So if I go back to meetings and holding meetings, I feel like today we do have some tools that we can use to help make that true, but there is still a big divide between how it feels on the outside to how it feels when you're in the room. And the setup still, you still need, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I need help, right? I can't get the room set up. So we have to get to a point where the tools, the instructions on how to make it work are really easy and intuitive. And the the sense of someone not being there is 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 much less profound. So it's almost like the sci-fi sci sort of you're beaming them in kind of feel, though you're not really beaming them in if you right. see what I mean, right? Um, so, so, but but really something that's more like that because I think that um, and I, and I have felt this a lot, uh, you know, in leading virtual meetings and and events and sessions is that when you can't see them, you can't hear them. It, it feels like you're talking into a, just a, an open chasm. I mean, there's no feedback. There's no nothing. It's just, you're just hoping that whatever you're saying is landing. There's no body language that you can read. And so I think that no matter what, we cannot take the human out of our interactions, mm. even if we are geographically agnostic. So what I think I'm saying is, I want the in the interactions to feel as human as they possibly can be, even if you're not in the same place. And that's that's the piece that I think that we haven't quite gotten yet. Uh, I do love the fact that the tools allow for various different types of interaction. You can do polls and you can do chat and you can do emojis and you can do all sorts of things. And I will tell you, we use all of those things and they're great. And so there's this different way. I mean, you know, when we would hold big meetings with lots of people in a room, people were often not really engaging as much as they do now when they're not all in the room. So what does that tell you? Right. So I think we're just solving for some, we've got some advantages. There's some disadvantages. And we're going to try to make, make that less of a disadvantage and more of an e even playing field with, with what's there. So, so that's a really big deal for us. Interesting. Um, so, and, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. No, 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 please. Go ahead. So, so, so basically uh, last question of this segment. So if, um, Looking at looking at NASA, looking at sort of your past life and current life, if um, and and looking at your peers in 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 other organizations trying to build this fascinating organization, what lesson would you lend them? Um, basically, that so uh, I think um, that that you see Na NASA do it really really well. That other uh, other organizations to could could sort of try to mimic. Or, or replicate so they can at least have a good either talent flow or better collaboration like what are some of some of the things that you think are easily pickable and usable by other organization or at least other peers in 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 in, in other setups well so you know I, I wouldn't um i wouldn't say that i know those environments well enough to know what would work say in another big government agency I think some of the fungible um, lessons include things like the value of caring for your people, the role of the supervisor, the, the you know, really good, strong people caring leadership. Those are all things that any organization could do and I imagine would be helpful. I'm not saying that they don't exist. I'm just saying if I had to look inside and say those are the things I think are portable, and that have mattered to us and would presumably matter for most organizations. Those are some examples of things that we would do. I would also say, um, 
I think we all as humans struggle with wanting certainty when we're in a world of uncertainty. Mm. And so, um, and, you know, we spend a lot of our lives sort of imagining what the future should look like and then trying to make plans against that future. And so what I would say is some of that's good, but we really have to be agile. Um, we have to have know the direction in which we want to head. And then we have to not look too far in the future so that it's impracticable for us to know enough. So how do we be agile in the present to to set ourselves up for that future, which is more broad in general, more of a direction, uh, but really helps us get there, really builds, keeps building. And so the agility is in, oh, I didn't know that was gonna happen. Oh, I didn't know that was gonna happen. You know, Oh, that didn't work out the way I expected and not lose faith, right? It's be, so part of agile is you shift, you change, you adapt and you don't lose faith and you keep yourself going. And I found myself doing that literally every day. <laughs> literally every day. So if that's what helped anyone, there you go. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Now, now let's get, get to the, um, the other segment. We call it rapid fire. So basically in that segment, um, I'll usher out some some word and just tell us what, what comes to your mind. It could be a word. It could be a sentence. It could be a bunch of those but whatever comes to your mind. Should we start? Sure. Awesome. So future of work. The possibilities are endless. Technology. Enormous boost for efficiency and effectiveness. A leadership. Passion, competence, and caring for the mission and the people. Remote work. Geographic agnostic, not where, but what <laughs> you're doing. That's deep. Um, equity. Equal access for everyone. Diversity. The richness of differences truly appreciated and embraced. Legislature. Uh, incredibly important part of our government, solid foundation for the work that we do as civil servants. Um, jobs of future. Not static <laughs> and may not currently be defined some of the jobs of the future, right? We're kind of inventing them as we go. Yeah. Future of learning. Uh, this, is, this is one is uh, one I care about a lot. Career journeys, not career paths. So difference between those two. And then a lot of focus on experiential learning in those career journeys. That's a deep cut. So uh, things that keep you up at night. Uh, I think I have an awesome responsibility to my agency to do the best for them that I can. So it's not for lack of trying, um, but it, it's, I, it's, a, it's sort of a wonderment about how, how incredible this agency is and how much it matters to the whole world. And that I have a role in that, I'm very grateful, but I also wanna make sure I'm always doing what matters because hmm. it's an awesome responsibility. Uh, wonderfully played. And thank you so much uh, for playing that with us. Now we're, we're on the last segment. And in that, okay. uh, we, we love to um, go a bit uh, on your personal journey. So we sure. asked all of our guests uh, to, to talk about some of the qualities, some of the uh, traits that has helped them be, be become what they have become now. What are some of those some of those qualities for you that has really helped you shape what you are today? Um, well, I mean, I could, I could give you a traditional answer. I think staying organized is really important. I think keeping in touch with people and understanding what's going on is important. But as you progress, there is a sense of having to let go of some things that you have always done. And so what has gotten you here may not get you there. It's that that's not original, of course. <laughs> There's a whole yeah. book on that. But recognizing what you need to hold on to as 
habits that are helpful and what you need to let go of. So a good example for me is that, you know, I came from the world of doing, right? So, um, you know, I, if someone had a task, then I would do it, right? And now I've migrated from doing to managing to leading. Those are all different things. And as I've gone into this leadership position, I realize that I, I do have to delegate, but here's the twist. I do delegate. I have incredible staff. I have the most amazing team that does a better job than I would do if I turned my hand to some of these tasks. Uh, so I want to give them props for that. Um, but I do, I don't want to lose touch. I think that that can happen that the further away you get from the pulse of the organization, uh, the more you lose lock on how to talk about it, think about it, and what good decisions look like and how to advocate for your organization. And so for me, making that switch of how do I advocate, how do I sound like I know what's going on and actually know what's going on, how do I be authentic and in touch without having to be in the middle of everything. And that's part of the people leadership, trusting your people to be able to do really good work and having the right conversations so that there's sort of a mind meld and a reshaping if necessary. But and these are all techniques that have been written about and talked about. And I'm, I, I don't consider myself a, a guru on these things other than as a practitioner, I have found that there is that letting go, but with that caveat that I still want to understand what is happening in my organization so that I can do the best that I can to lead them and to advocate for them. So I, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious, what what advice would you give your 16-year-old 16 16 self? Oh, um, so if, if that's a broader question about how I potentially, how I have run my career. Um, the other thing I'd say to myself, which I don't think that I did that well along the way, was follow your passions, right? Now, I did that at different times, like when I went to work in the music industry, that was a passion thing. And that was, oh, that was fun. But, you know, you're living as a you know, on a little bit of money in a really big city and that's good for that. And then you can't keep that going for forever. But beyond that, I think there were moments when I hit a wall in jobs that I held where it was like, I'm just treading water here. I am not passionate about this and I am not learning. And don't dwell too long in places where you are not growing and where for which you do not have a sufficient amount of passion. You might have passion that then you, you've done what you need to do and then you move along. Because I think one of the things that I notice about me in this job is that I love what I do. I literally love what I do. And I get up every day wanting to talk to the people, work with the people, work at this agency. And I'm one of the lucky ones. Not everybody feels that way, right? And so, you know, and I'm... <laughs> I didn't really plan it. It just sort of happened. Uh, but but I think along the way, I looked at eras and I thought, I spent too long there. I spent too long there. I didn't learn enough, right? So I think that's a really important for those earlier career people who are finding their way in the through professional development. Pay attention to your gut and what it's telling you about whether you've whether you've you sort of stalled out or whether you just don't have the passion and then go find where your passion takes you. Fascinating. I think in, um, so I, I always joke, joke, so in India, it's very famous that uh, passion is something you do after you retire. So it's, <laughs> yes, right, right. So just get back to studies. Okay, you have passion, yeah, right. beautiful. Wait till you're 60 and then you can do whatever you want to do. So, right. so uh, beautifully put, and thank you for walking us through that. So, um, quickly, let's talk about um, your favorite books that have inspired you or the books that you love reading. Well, I will say that I'm a classics kind of gal. I don't mean, I, I just mean classical literature. So, uh, and the reason that I love classics is because there are two two things I that I listen and look out for. One is the sound of the words. Language is really beautiful. And in classics, they it's all about crafting the language and being able to, you know, even just 
take the text and read it out loud, the beauty of language. And I find that I use, I think about language and how it sounds when I am in my workplace, because I'm thinking about how to find new ways to say things, how to convey meaning and intent, and how to make it listenable, right? So that's part of it. And then there's also structure. Every novel has a structure, right? And, and so what is that structure? And if you can find what it is, it actually helps you understand it. I also play the piano, classical piano. And one of the things my teacher has done is have me break pieces up into their different sections, both for just practical reasons, but also to understand how it's laid out. Hmm. And understanding the structure of things can be very helpful in a work context as well. So I don't, that was a long answer to your Awesome. Question. I think, um, uh, thank you so much. So last but not the least, so if you want something that listeners and viewers to take away from the conversation, what would be what would that be? What would be a closing remark? Um, I think I've covered a lot of what I would normally say at this point, but um, I think really paying attention to your your how you feel, the degree of of you know, are you, do you feel like you're safe and that you belong where you are? So pay attention to that. And as part of that, I actually find that being grateful is a really wonderful exercise. What am I grateful for? And if, if the, if the list has one thing on it, then that's a signal, right? Mm. But also the process of having gratitude, gratitude for the people, gratitude for the opportunities, gratitude for what the world has in it that I can enjoy and love. It's great. And I, that's just human to human. That's not a hmm. perfect professional answer. But, you know, we all bring our whole selves to the work that we do. And so if you're not healthy in yourself, it's hard to be your best you when you're in an organization. So be your best self and, and think about those things um, to help you figure out whether you're in the right place and doing the right thing. Anyway, With that Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you for your service. Thank you for helping lead an organization that's that's making work and life better for all of us. And wish you nothing but success there. I hope we'll see some more goodies coming out of NASA that we can enjoy in our YouTube. <laughs> so thank, thank you for your time. Absolutely. It's a great pleasure. Lovely talking to you. Thank you so much, Michelle. Awesome.